Welcome to Whiskey and Weird. Um, we just had something really weird. I got my buddy Pete hanging out and his kid's toy just went off all by itself. So it's probably because we called in the Zozo demon, Pete. I got the spirit pulled out. Yep, that's why. All right, so we're going to bless this space with good energy, healthy energy that serves us and makes us have a really great time. So I'm doing that. And I'm going to wait another minute or two to see if anyone um, pops on. And I just moved that, and that's probably not a good idea. Um, but hi, everybody. Chime in on the comments to let me know you're here. Just say hi. It's good for me to have a feeling who's out there. I know some of you are probably just getting a peek to see what crazy I'm up to. But um, if you're here to stay for the long haul tonight, go ahead and let me know. Um, because I'm really excited for this one. Really excited. Welcome to Whiskey and Weird. Uh, so as you guys know, I have invited my friend Pete on. So we're going to welcome him in a minute. But I wanted to talk a little bit about the whiskey I'm drinking tonight. Um, and I've been really blessed, actually. Um, because, what, this is my fifth episode. And um, I've only... I've only had to buy whiskey for myself one time. I've gotten it as a as a guest a couple times. Hi, Dad. Love you, Dad. I'm glad you're here. Um. Anyway, I I've only had to buy myself whiskey this one one time, which is pretty amazing, I have to say. So, um, a wonderful friend of mine, Angelique, she is a whiskey drinker, and she um she's the one who gave me some a couple weeks ago. Um, and she sent me home today with a flask of some whiskey that she got for her birthday. Um, and, uh, yeah, so Tracy knows my dad, you guys, that's super cool. Um, anyway, she sent me home this, this, uh, with a flask of this whiskey that she got. I, I don't know what the price point is on it, um, but apparently it's pretty expensive. So I feel really lucky because probably I would not have had that anytime soon. Um, but it's by a distillery called Glenmorangie in the north of Scotland. And this is a Highland single malt scotch. It's um, from the distillery there. It was established in 1843, which is one of the things I love about, um, about these distilleries and how, um, how long they've been around. I think that's really cool, actually. Um, but this one has been aged 18 years. Yes, 18 friggin' years. That's a long time. Um, my son, as my son said, he's like, mom, that whiskey's been around longer than I have. I'm like, this is true. Um, so anyway, it's, uh, it's been undisturbed, as they say, in oak casks and Oloroso sherry casks. Now, uh, you guys can remember I had that Glenlivet 14, which also was out of a sherry cask, and I really enjoyed that um, because I liked, well, the aroma was amazing. Um, but it had kind of these fruity, the fruity undertones from the sherry. So I think, I think I'm going to like this. Um, and even I opened it up and I had it down in a different space that I was going to work in. And, um, and my son walked in and he was like, oh my gosh, what is that? I'm like, that's the whiskey. So it really, really smells great. It has a great nose on it, which as you know, I've mentioned before, I really love. So, um, yeah, I'm going to take a sip and see if I can. It talks about um, hints of vanilla and almonds and dried fruit. And uh, you can definitely, when you open it, you can definitely 
get a feel for the almonds and the dried fruit, which is pretty awesome. And I could just sit and smell it because that's awesome too, right? And let's see how many times I can say the word awesome. How about every time I say awesome, you drink, whatever it is, right? All right, so I'm gonna taste it. You can watch my face, right? And see what I really think of it. Ooh, see, I don't need the burn. This does not have a burn. This is really, really nice. This goes down really smoothly. I might take another little sip. Okay, so you get the, fr the fruit on the front, in the front, but I can definitely get the vanilla and almond on the backside. Wow. Yeah, well, definitely the more expensive the whiskey tastes, or is, the better it tastes, that's for sure. Um, so, Glenmore and G18, really, really good, good stuff. So, you guys, chime in. Hi, Mom. Mom's here, too. Hi, Mom. Um, and hi, Lily. How are you guys doing? I'm glad you're here. Um, you guys, chime in and let me know what you're drinking tonight. Anybody out there? Usually Sean's around. He's usually my whiskey drinker, but I don't know if he's here tonight. So um, chime in and let me know what you're drinking. But in the meantime, I am going to give a little introduction to my friend Pete and bring him on here as soon as we can so we have a little more time. Um, if you've been paying attention to my posts, I've been kind of sharing a little bit about him. So I, I haven't really known him for very long, to be honest. I think I met him um, a year and a half ago. You can correct me when you get on, um, Pete, and let me know. Um, it was a year and a half ago that we actually met, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. Um, but we've been chatting now for a number of months about different stuff and about paranormal, and, um, and I was really happy that he agreed to come on here because he's um, pretty... He's, he's got stuff going on. So he is, um, he's been doing this for a long time, more than 25 years. It can't be third. Well, if he started in his teenage years, he, which I think he did start looking out and he'll tell me in a second, Pete. Um, but he, uh, he is the president of Vancouver Paranormal Society and, and has lots of experience there. Um, he grew up in London and has experiences there. Hopefully he'll share some with us. He is a producer and lead investigator, one of the executive producers and the lead investigator on a web series called We Want to Believe. You can find it on YouTube. It's, it's really cool. I really like their approach and it's just little, it's short kind of segments, um, but I think they do a good job of kind of explaining uh, what their thought processes are, which I think is really important because there's so much crap out there. Um, and a lot of misconceptions about what real paranormal investigations look like, right? So he's doing that. And then um, with his friend Jason, um, has just finished a book about his life and all of his um, amazing stories. So I'm getting on, on here with me, the little guy, before um, that kind of blows up for him. And he's probably a little embarrassed that I'm talking about him. I can see him, but you can't. And yeah, but I think it's pretty awesome. Hi, Dana, my college roommate. She's on. Um, so yeah, without further ado, I'm going to bring my buddy Pete in. You ready, dude? I'm ready. All right. All right, and maybe I'll do this because then I can see us a little better. All right, can everybody, you guys give me a thumbs up if you can see us both, 
both um, really well. Can you see us? There's Pete. There's me. All right. So, um, so I mentioned that Pete and I met about a year and a half ago when um, Whisper, the organization that um, I investigate with, um, he we went up there to meet them just actually for for fun, uh, just and to to get together. So Vancouver Paranormal Society hosted us up there at um, a place called St. Mary's. And um, we had our first experience there. But Pete, do you, I mean, Pete, how many times have, had you investigated at St. Mary's before that event? Uh, we had like uh, ongoing documented um, investigations going on for probably about four or five years um, up until the time you guys came. Uh, unfortunately, due to COVID, uh, we're no longer able to go in there because of restrictions and stuff like that but um yeah no it's been um usually with things like that um after about a couple of years you start you know the the candle starts burning out but the place has just been has been like incredibly active over the years for sure and especially that night when you guys came up as well um, yeah yeah we had a lot of stuff so um Pete and I were trying to rem- remember our exact story. Um, I don't know if you if you want to tell it, because you, you know a little bit about kind of the residents around there, right? You have more experience, so I'll let you I'll let you share the story of our our one shared paranormal uh, um, story. So, so the school is a um, First Nations residential school. It closed in nineteen ninety two, I believe. Uh, it, it became vacated, and then they moved. Um, office spaces into there and uh, basically to the, today it, there's about half the buildings being occupied by offices and half it's just basically redundant um, because of the Aboriginal history there's a there was a lot of kind of uh, mistreatment there that kind of thing as you could probably imagine and uh, there's a lot of um, a lot of residual energy that's built up there over the years as well and uh, this one particular area um, over by the gym uh, they there was two locked doors for um, as far back as the caretaker can remember and um, one particular day they decided they wanted to go in there so they, they it kind of sounds like a horror movie but they, they opened doors up and um, there was just all stored furniture and that kind of thing but on that on that basement floor uh, there's, there's, there's five or six daycare um, rooms in there and they all complained after that that they were getting like paranormal activity in there they were hearing like children laughter and they were hearing banging noises the door handles and the doors kept rattling as well uh, just coincidental at the time when they actually opened these rooms up and uh, I, I set up the cameras when we when uh, Lauren's team when Whisper first came up there and um, it was towards the end of the night when it was just me and Lauren we actually stood in the doorway of the room and um, I think I said something um, if you want us to leave um just say so and uh, I, I, I had my headphones ha- half in and a half off and I was further into the room and I heard a woman's voice say yes and uh, I shit myself <laughs> um, I, uh, I, was, I was trying to act all cool and stuff like that but it was just I, I was just wasn't expecting to hear a voice like that because first of all I thought you said it and I'm like what did you say what did you say Anything. And I said, like, like, I heard something. And then, um, then obviously, after that, I kind of <laughs> got, got myself together and I, I obviously respected their wishes and stuff like that. And uh, we, we 
walked away and then we kept, we carried on doing uh, other areas of the building but uh, so that whole building like for the last um, four or five years since we've been investigating it's been like a haven of paranormal activity mainly residual though not a lot of the uh, the evidence we've got out there is actually intelligent like uh, you know intelligent responses that kind of thing yeah yeah, it was that was pretty incredible, and I and I would say that we we left pretty quickly. <laughs> we didn't run, we did. but once we realized, we both heard the same thing. <laughs> I don't. I, to be honest, with you, I don't think it was the fact that I, you know, I, I like you know got like, scared or anything like that. But my with things like that happen over the years, like adrenaline just kicks in, and mm-hmm. I. I do silly things like I I can't control when when the adrenaline kicks in. Like for example, we might bring up a story later when the first time I ever came face to face with a shadow figure. Like rather than walk away from it, I decided I wanted to walk through it. That kind of thing. I don't I, I react differently, and I have no control over what I do at that particular time. It's just my own reaction, but it's fun. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is fun, and it's not always yeah. about you know necessarily fear like some people i mean you have way more experience than me and your adrenaline does go but that doesn't necessarily mean it's you know it's get up and run i mean you 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 might just kind of stand there or you might you know like you said move through it right so yeah i've, I've never never gotten physically run i there's there's, uh, there's no you know uh, there's no justification in that whatsoever um there's been times over the years where it's been close to it, where I've been given in that situation where, you know, it, it, it's everyone's sixth sense when you walk into a particular room and you're like, I don't like the feel of this place. And, then, you know, the, the, the jeebies you get and stuff like that, and I shouldn't be here and stuff like that. That's happened to me a couple of times, but um, to physically get up and run out of a place, um, no. Well, I think that's what sets a seasoned investigator apart from... <laughs> From others, right? Um, oh, I've, I've, I've seen a lot of seasoned investigators get up and run out of buildings and stuff like that, and it's just the nature of who they are, but they, you know, they still enjoy getting scared. Yeah. Well, I guess <laughs> I guess people are scared by different things. I'm going to, um, to interrupt for just a second, Pete. Hey, guys, I want to let you know that if you have questions that come up um, for Pete, like if you want to ask him something, Go ahead and type it in the comments and you'll see that I have this cool little feature of, um, of being able to, uh, to show these. So I'm going to, I'm going to use you, Sean. I'm glad you made it. But for instance, you can see there's Sean saying he's sorry. He's late. He has connection issues. Sean, you'll have to listen back so you can hear about this awesome whiskey I'm drinking. Um, it's or it's it's a scotch uh, 18 years age that someone um, gave me some of so so anyway you guys can see how i can really easily pop those questions up and then pete will be able to see them and he can answer so if you have questions please please chime in um otherwise i'll keep asking the questions so um i've probably heard it at some point along the way pete but what what was the very first experience that you remember ever having and how old were you um, first experience I had when I was probably was about like seven or eight years old. Um, we lived um, we lived in quite an old house uh, in a place called Addington Village, which is on the borderlines of South London, Surrey, England. And uh, every morning, and it was like regular like clockwork, we'd see this white light. Like our our house was kind of like a townhouse, but the best way of describing it, and our dining room lounge area is right in the middle of the house so there's mm-hmm. no 
outside windows or anything like that. So you wouldn't, you know, you, you wouldn't put it down to like traffic in the mornings or anything like that. But every morning at seven o'clock, we'd get this, uh, we used to get up for breakfast because my mum used to go to work and my dad was already at work, that kind of thing. And we'd, we'd sit at the breakfast table and this one light, I'm, I'm pointing like, like you guys are in the room, but um, <laughs> and this one light would come through one wall and uh, go through the other. And it, it happened for years and we, we just kind of, we just acknowledged it. Um, my dad was never around because he was always working. Uh, mum, you know, she, she helped us kind of, uh, she nurtured in, into like the paranormal and stuff like that as well. And we just kind of accepted it. And then um, then when we, we moved out of the house, because the house was too small, uh, we got to a bigger house. And then um, after that, I was always curious about the paranormal. And then when I was um, when I was at school, I read like, you know, obviously when you're younger, you read like ghosts and stories and stuff like that. And started researching about paranormal. And then I was up in London. Um, uh, actually it was a trade show and uh, there was a paranormal group up there and I was 16 going on 17 and uh, I got talked to the guys and um, they were they were old enough to be my grand, grandpa back in those days and I kept asking them and asking them asking them that I wanted to come out of them and I begged them, begged them, begged them and then the worst thing they ever done was give, them the, give me their telephone number and I kept calling them, calling them, calling them, and eventually they said, yeah, you can come out with us. So we went to, uh, the very first investigation was in a place called Maidstone in Kent, which is probably about 40 minutes away from where I live. And uh, I had to get on the train to get up there. And uh, it was a, the first investigation was an old barn. Nothing happened, obviously. It wasn't glamorized, but I made myself so sick with like, <laughs> I was so, I was, I was just waiting for something to happen and I got so, like, my stomach was in knots and stuff like that and and I, after after we finished the investigation I, I, I just felt like crap. I slept for about two days after because I was so worked up my adrenaline was, I was expecting something to happen but of course it didn't. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Thanks. I do now remember that the stories, especially the one about your um, your stories uh at home at your home and i was just remembering when i shared you guys i shared with pete this is a i don't know if i shared this on any of mine but one of my weird stories is this notion of um my son and myself seeing me in the chair i've talked about the chair where i sit a lot and i can't remember if i've talked about this but noah my son has come downstairs and seen that he he's, swears he sees me. And what's even freakier is I've come down and sworn I see myself. So I mentioned this to Pete. And Pete, you had a little bit of that in your house with your mom, didn't you? Like Yeah, yeah, we, we, we had similar we had similar occurrences as well where um like the the, the that particular house where um with I'd see like in my bedroom I'd I'd look outside and I'd see my mum walking up and down the hallway and I'd shout to her and She'd either be in the garden or um, downstairs somewhere, and it was it was kind of a regular thing growing up, kind of thing that we got uh, we got exposed to as well. Yeah, it's a really strange phenomenon, but it's um, pheno- phenomenon, phenomena, whatever the right word is. So there's a question here. I'm going to put it up for you, uh, Pete, and you can um, take take a stab. So how do you feel about? how Holly Weird has portrayed gro- ghosts and spirits, and I know you have an opinion, so please. I know, but I'm, I'm going to try and simmer it down because I'm very passionate 
many subjects and stuff like that. Um, I think that TV shows, uh, uh, they do, they, they, they make it more, um, I'm trying to say this diplomatically. Um, they, <laughs> it's okay. They, they amplify. They, they amplify what um, what actually happens in the field. I, I think I said that diplomatically without um, sticking nice, nice into people's backs and stuff like that. It's uh, it really annoys me the way that um, it portrays that uh, every location is haunted and uh, everyone uh, everyone interpretates that, that they can be ghost um, ghost ghost hunters or paranormal investigators as well and it just creates this stigma in the field where there's people going around uh, being very disrespectful as to and uh, as to what they're, they're like in the TV shows as well and uh, it's unfortunately it's the way TV's gone like when I when I first started investigating years ago um, do you remember the TV show Most Haunted? Uh, yes yeah I, I remember it I don't know if anyone else yeah well, that's, that was kind of the pioneer show in the UK before the Ghost Hunters and Ghost Adventures, blah, blah, blah. That was kind of the pioneer show back in the UK. And that didn't really amplify the fact that, um, you know, it got people out of the chair thinking, um, you know, I can be a, you know, I can be a ghost hunter and stuff like that, or I can be a paranormal investigator and stuff like that. But it, it kind of, uh, it put it out there, but it didn't amplify it as much as what it is now. Yeah, so it's... Well, I wonder if they feel like they have to keep up with some of the garbage that's on the TV now. Well, it's, it's TV, it's entertainment at the end of the day, and it's not, um, mm-hmm. it's not, f- I don't mean to say, it's not, it. uh, 99% of what you see on TV is just entertainment. You, uh, I, you can bag the evidence uh, that they get, the so-called evidence they get on TV, and you can put it in a plastic bag and you can fry it a bit, as far yeah. as I'm concerned. Yeah. Well, it does. It it creates a, a false impression, a false understanding. Um, and it does. Yeah. It, it does. And, uh, yeah. Like, twisting it around to our show, like we want to believe, that's what we we captured the actual. Uh, yeah, we actually put a documentary out there of what, what we do as investigators, and uh, bearing in mind that it's not. You know, every not every show that we're going to have on is going to have paranormal activity and stuff like that. It's just uh, us doing a journal of uh, ventures yeah that's it and us doing what we what we love best kind of thing yeah well i that's what i love about the show because it's a very realistic look at at what it looks like and um and you guys explain things really well um both within the context of your investigation or, or even in the little interviews that you do in between um and why some things are interesting and one and why other things um are not so um, I, th- I think that's what we need out there is just a little more education. That's an awesome question, Sean. Thanks for um, asking that. Um, and, I, you know, I think that we could do, we could have you and even have like Darren on and really get, we could have a cool conversation about what, what paranormal investigating actually looks like sometime would be kind of fun, right? Because there's a lot of people I know that follow this that are interested um, and, what we actually do on an investigation is different, but we can talk about that later. So, it, um, go it, ahead. It, what, we, what we do is totally different, and uh, mm-hmm. it's it, it's it's nothing like what you see on TV. The, the approach, like the proper the, the way that I've been taught over the years, and the way that um, even you know Darren's team 
conducts themselves as well uh, is totally different to what you see on TV, and uh, it's just you know it, it's, it should be interpreted differently. Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to just say that there are plenty of people that I like to watch on TV that I do have a lot of respect for. Um, And you you have to take, you know, take it with a grain of salt because, you you know, understanding that um, that at the end of the day, they are also entertainers. But many of them. They are. Right. They are. To a degree, they're acting as well. Yeah. Yes. And I think there's there's a few, just a few that I really like that I think are trying to maintain as much integrity in the work as possible. Um, So, uh, okay, let's see. I have um, Jacqueline. I don't know what that means. My sister's here. Dana, I'm going to get to your question in one more second. I'm going to let Pete share another story. So, okay, so Pete, when you are, um, (laughs) when you are, sorry, my mom's asking a question, but it's like in multiple comments. Hi, mom. I love you. (laughs) Took her. We should get her on the line. Yeah. (laughs) We should get her on the line. Um, so, so Pete, when, if you, if you're put on the spot, well, here, I'm going to put you on the spot. When you think of, like, do you have a most memorable experience like uh, a, a an, an experience that you have that always comes right to your head that you will never forget exactly what you felt like when it happened do you have something like that and what yeah, is it uh, that's yeah no uh, about about nine years ago we did uh we did a resident residential uh when i say residential i mean like a house investigation in surrey uh, bc it was just shortly after i took over vancouver paranormal society and um, this couple um, reached out to us and they were, they were renting the top half of this house and they were complaining that their newborn, uh, not newborn, their two-year-old, uh, two or three-year-old child was getting distracted by things walking up and down the hallway and the, the cats were also getting freaked out as well. So um, we did we did a quite a few investigations there over a course of about three or four months and uh, the first couple of investigations didn't really overturn a lot. We got like a couple of VVPs and stuff like that, but the woman, the woman was very, uh, you know, welcoming and said, you know, come back whenever you want and stuff like that. And uh, anyway, it was the last investigation. We were, um, there were four of us. There was me and my vice president that was there at the time and uh, there was two investigators. And I was sitting, I was sitting on the floor by the doorway of the kitchen and to my right was the opening of the kitchen. Uh, to the opposite over, uh, to the opposite side, over the, over the other side, there was a couch. And my VP was sitting on the couch and the other two investigators were sitting over the other side of the room. So it was literally the last EVP session of the night and I turned around and said, uh, um, uh, we're about to go now and we're probably not going to come back. Um, if you are there, could you please give us a sign or an indication you're here or show yourself? And then nothing. I, I thought there was nothing. So I got up and um, Carol got up as well and she was sitting on the couch opposite and she walked towards me and she had her equipment in her hand. Like she had um, an EMF me or and a voice recorder and she's trying to turn it off. So I turned around and looked into the kitchen and in, in the opening of the kitchen originally there was like a cook hood and uh, there was like the, you know, the, 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 the timer was on there and the fridge was there as well. And it was semi-lit as well. You could see the lamp, uh, the, uh, the street lamp coming in as well. But it was total black. 
like honestly it was just total black like black black and I'm like that's weird so I'm, I'm standing there and I'm looking and I and it didn't twig, twig on me that anything was standing in front of me at the time and I, I turned around I looked at Carol and Carol looked at me and looked over there and she just dropped her stuff on the floor and I and I, I'm like and she's just frozen and she pointed to what was standing what was in front of us and I couldn't see anything all I could see was black so I took a couple of steps back and there was this black mass of like it was a shape of it was a shape of a human just this black mass it was like a cloud just standing in front of me so I just froze for like a second it's like what do I do what do I do and I, I knew something was there but adrenaline kicked in and I walked through it and I walked through it into the kitchen. I don't ask me why or anything like that. It was just something I did. And to this day, I don't know why I did it. It was just a natural reaction. But you know, what was interesting about it is, you know everyone's reaction to the paranormal when they see ghosts or when they feel ghosts and stuff like that, they feel cold? I didn't feel cold. I felt like this electrical charge. You know, like um, doorbell wire. You know, it's got that, that small electrical current. That's what it felt like in my body when I walked through it. Wow. I didn't feel hot or didn't feel cold or anything like that. I got like, this electrical charge in my body, and as, as soon as I walked through it, it disappeared. And uh, there were three other witnesses that saw the same thing as me, as me as well. And that, to me, is probably the most memorable uh, thing that's ever happened to me. I've seen like apparitions and stuff like that, but I've never had that physical. Like I, I believe I've been touched and stuff like that in the past, but I've never had that physical kind of contact where. I've seen something, I've acknowledged it was there and I've walked through it. Yeah. And to me, that, that is the most memorable. That's really cool. Do you do you think, like to talk about the cold spots, do you think maybe the difference there is that it had actually manifested into something versus when something isn't completely manifested? Do you think that could make a difference? Have you ever felt a cold spot, for instance? Um, there's theories in... Um, you know, temperature change and stuff like that when it's supposed to be manifestations of spirits, that kind of thing. And to a degree, I've experienced that. Like, I've had uh, I've had temperature spikes before. I've had, you know, EVPs. Um, mm-hmm. I've had, um, you know, I've had temperature spikes before. Um, like, things have happened, you know, like, door, you know, knocks on walls and stuff like that. To a degree, yeah. And we don't honestly know. We, yeah. we believe that it could be just a manifestation or it could be a spirit perhaps just trying to gain energy from the atmosphere just to do what it wants to do. Right. It's, we, we don't know. And if we know that, you know, that that's the golden key of how and why it got there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the cool thing about it is we don't really know and there's so much to be learned and experienced about it, right? Uh, so no. my, my friend Dana had a quick question for you and we'll ask you, your opinion on this so do you think certain people are more susceptible to see to seeing and feeling spirits absolutely um yep uh, i believe that um uh we're all born with that ability and uh, within time um certain people lose that ability as they get older um some people keep hold of it um it's kind of like a door uh it just opens and shuts and people can um you know, to a degree, people can train it to adapt that ability better. But yeah, I, I believe that um, certain people are conduits to spirits. Yeah, I, I, I mean, well, I, I would agree with that. Um, and I also agree that we're all born with it. It's just a matter of, of, 
of what happens with it afterwards. Um, exactly, and it's you know as you get older, you either go one or two ways. You either nurture that skill or that ability, or you your your brain you're actually taught to dismiss. Your brain mm-hmm. actually teaches you to dismiss what you see and what you feel, and yep. a lot of people lose it. And things like um, you know our kids and young children are very open to the paranormal. Yeah. The same as animals as well, because yeah. you know, they don't lose. Well, as you know, as you know, that's why I, I'm trying to do the, some of the work I'm doing is to try to help kids not be afraid and just to be able to nurture that. Because I, I think it's actually a really beautiful thing um, in many ways. So, um, yeah, no, totally. I, yeah. I do. And, uh, but also on the flip side of that, and you know my opinion on it, I believe that there's a lot of uh, people out there that um, claim to have that ability as well. And they use that for no good. And they, um, they exploit people. Yeah. To that degree as well. But that's a different conversation. Well, it is. But you know what? I can appreciate it because you you keep me really honest when I'm having, when I ask you about things that I'm trying to work through, whether it's not a real. And you ask, you ask questions, um, smart questions, right? That you should as an investigator and you don't like, I don't think you disbelieve me when I share experiences but you also don't automatically just believe me just you know what I mean and I think that's important um because I don't just believe myself and I don't I mean I'm not a psychic in any way but I have as you know I've had some weird experiences so um I I think you're really smart about how you ask people questions and about how you how you decide especially in your situation where you know you bring people in right um uh and you want to make sure that they're for real. Uh, anyway, yeah, I, I think uh, it's cool. Yeah, no, it's, we, we've, we've had that in the team before where um, once upon a time we used to bring mediums, so-called mediums and psychics in and stuff like that. And uh, over the years, it just by pure um, trial and error, it's like to the point where I can't bring them in because uh, first of all, I can't, is that element of trust? And secondly as well, they distract the team as well and uh, it's been you know for example if we're in if we're if we're, sit, we're all sitting in the room doing an investigation and uh we have a we have a medium in the room and this is just a uh, an example of what what um what happened a few years ago uh we had a medium in sitting in the room and there were three other investigators in one room and she's pointing to one side of the room and uh she's saying that there's someone standing in the corner of the room and uh, he's doing this and he's very unhappy and it just ruined everyone's vision of what was going on in that room. Like everyone's guard just totally dropped, and it just be- everyone became focused in that corner, and it just became a distraction mm-hmm. for the uh, for the more kind of scientific based investigators more yeah. than the, uh, the the psychic the psychic mediums rather. Yeah, that's well. That's why I like how Whisper tries to keep that stuff as separate like as possible so you're not influencing right um yeah because and i think both both each of them influences the other side so i think it's important to just do one or the other so um a couple comments here uh uh sean appreciated your explanation of um of what it felt like to walk through that guy (laughs) walk through that shadow guy um and and then, yeah, Sean, totally back to the conditioned human, right? Uh, yeah, I think we'll always go back to that thing. And then, so we can, we don't have to do it now, but my mom really wants me to tell you a story about an experience that she had at uh, the river scene. 
I've told you, I, you know, I talked a little bit about Boonville and did you listen to my, well, I'm not going to put you on the spot. Did you hear, if you heard my um, last episode when I was in Boonville, if you weren't like sleeping or something, uh, you can hear it on there. So mom, um, if he listened, he heard it because I did share it on that last episode about the I six- was you, pro- you probably were because you get up early for work. Um, so, Mom, I will tell him, but I want to give him the opportunity to share uh, more of his stories um, while he's on here tonight. So, um, so, so there's there. I think this is a great opportunity. So, you shared a story of um, well, we shared one EVP story. We've shared you've shared a shadow figure story, but you mentioned that you've seen apparitions before can you tell us about one of your most memorable opportunities of i've never seen a full any sense of an apparition i've seen shadow figures but i'm really curious to know what pops into your head in terms of that kind of experience uh the the one that pops into my head is um the, the earliest one i can remember i was about 19 years old in warwick castle in england and um it was back in, back in the day where um, there wasn't many investigators around and uh, you could approach these heritage sites with uh, potential fundraising um, ideas that, you know, it got you into the door and you could, you know, it's a bit of publicity for your, for your group and stuff like that. So I, I approached Warwick Castle to do a, um, a kind of, um, it's like a 24-hour paranormal investigation there. And... Um, it was just totally out of the blue. We were in, um, I think it was called Bear Tower in Warwick Castle. And um, there's there, there's various stories in there with uh, like a, a phantom dog that's been seen as well, that kind of thing. But we was in the Bear, Bear Tower and there was me and there were two other investigators. No, there was a member of the public and there was an investigator with me as well. And we were, we walked in to the, to the tower itself and there was like a there was like a partial spiral staircase going up and there was like a wall to the side of it and then on the wall like for no reason at all whatsoever there was an arm an apparition of an arm hanging out the wall and I, I stood there like I came in and I looked up and I'm like there's so wrong in my eyes and I'm looking up and it was about 20, 30, 20 25 30 feet up and I'm looking at this arm, and and the the, the woman, uh, the, the member of the public was with me. The woman, she stops dead as well, and uh, uh, George just hits the floor. And the, and the the investigator I had with me as, as well at the time, I think, I think it was Sarah. She turned around and she went, "What the? What's that?" And like they both ran out, and it was just so weird because it was just an arm hanging out. There's there no right reason for it to be there. I don't I don't understand because it's not. It wasn't a connected part of the castle or anything like that it was on the outside wall and it was just an arm coming through the wall <laughs> it's just weird that I, is I wasn't weird any funny, i wasn't any i wasn't on any funny cigarettes or anything like that at the time or anything like that <laughs> but it was, just, it was just totally weird and um there was um um the um in vancouver bc there's a uh orpheum theater and uh we were there we were doing um like a, P- a PR session with the, we invited the uh, local uh, heritage society to come out and investigate with us and this was about seven eight years ago and we were we were in the rehearsal room which is just above the uh, the, the main stage of the Orpheum right above and um, this room is allegedly um, 
uh, haunted by, or allegedly haunted by a, a woman called Elizabeth, who was um, a trapeze artist that fell to her death downstairs. So we we investigated there um, twice, and then the first time we were in there, we got um, we got a, a woman's voice. There were six of us sitting around a chair, and uh, it, it wasn't an EVP. It was, we actually heard it with our own voices, and we're all sitting around a couch. And uh, one of the uh, one of the guests turns around and says, um, uh, "Whoever's here, can you please give us a name?" And we all heard a woman's voice say, "Elizabeth." Without, you know, we didn't have any audio equipment on or anything like that. So straight after that, we, every time we were going there, we were calling out Elizabeth. Elizabeth was our guide point for whatever was going on in that room. So it was the second time we went back there. There was me. Um, there was me, uh, another Daryl from uh, another paranormal group in um, Vancouver as well, and there was a, my friend of mine, Ronnie, and uh, we were sitting at the table, and uh, there was um, uh, Daryl was sitting in front of me, and Ronnie was sitting the other side, the, uh, over the other side of the table, both opposite me, and behind me was the uh, the entrance to the washrooms, to the male washrooms, and uh, we're sitting there talking, and the place was semi lit. Um, the only thing that you could see in the room were the fire exit lights and stuff like that, and uh, everything else was pitch black. And above the uh, the washroom door, there was an exit light, and uh, it was uh, beating down, so you could see, you know, you could see the doorway and stuff like that. So we're sitting there talking, and um, all of a sudden, Daryl's looked over and he's frozen, and he's tapped my arm, and he's pointed over to the washroom. He hasn't said anything. He goes like that and he pointed and I looked and I, I looked I looked round and looked back I couldn't see anything and then Ronnie looked over and she looked over the doorway as well and her, her face and, and she went so I turned around and looked and there was a woman standing in the doorway of the of the washroom the male washroom she was just standing there and I got up and I, I looked at Daryl and he was like what the F is that and I got up and I, keep, I said, "Look, can you come? Can you come into the room?" And uh, she looked. She looked at me, and she looked at Daryl, and then she just disappeared. And that was it. Wow. And it was uh, the best way of describing her was not me looking at you, but it was kind of it was kind of glowing. Mm-hmm. That's probably the best way of describing it. But it had all the characteristics, and uh, she was. She was in a um, she was in a white dress, but she was kind of glowing. That's probably the best way of describing it. Wow, that is so. That's I mean, that's of course that's like the big. That's what every paranormal investigator wants to experience is a, is an apparition, right? Um, that's that's that's, that's, the, that's the golden crown of all of all jewels, right? And uh, I've been fortunate with the places that I've been over the years, and the place and the things I've experienced as well, and. The thing, the thing is, a lot of the experiences I've had, um, you can probably discount it. But the, the ones that I've kept to me are the ones where I've had other witnesses to those instances as well. Yeah, yeah, that's that's awesome. Well, I mean, and, you, and you've been doing this a long time, so you, it, you, you, I would think you'd have some experiences. But I think, kind of to your point of this doesn't happen all the time. It's still probably hasn't happened as many times as somebody might think that it happens too, right? Especially a full apparition, right? It, it, it's rare. And in all honesty, uh, a lot of the times where I think I've seen things and think I've experienced things, 
Um, I've basically shrugged them all off. Like over the years, I've become more skeptical mm-hmm. in what in what I do because I've had to because there's you know the, uh, not everything is paranormal and uh, there's that line where you've got to look that extra you've got to take that extra step to find out exactly what that creak is and what that bang is otherwise there's no point in calling us paranormal investigators yeah yeah um so here's the question so maybe you can share a little bit with people about what because you you talked a little bit about um hearing voices and hearing it with your own ears and of course our experience was we heard the word yes with our ears um but you know there's the whole notion of an evp can you tell us give give a little explanation to everybody about what that is and maybe share um one or two stories about your your most favorite evps that you've received over the years uh evp is electronic voice phenomenon it's uh, it's a voice that's projected at a certain decibel uh lower to the human ear uh, things like voice recorders are uh, obviously they project a lower, lower frequency to our, our ears, so we're able to pick up uh, those uh, apparitions, uh, not apparitions, uh, disembodied voices and stuff like that. Um, most, some of the most recorded. Um, probably, uh, I've had over the years, I've had like hundreds of EVPs. Yeah. Um, the one. Uh, that sticks out the most for me is uh, there's a hotel local to where I am in Kamloops in British Columbia. Um, it's got a very twisted history in the, in the respect of everyone's got different stories about what went, out, where, what went on in there and no one really knows for sure what went on in there but um, things, do, uh, does happen, things do happen in that hotel. So uh, we were in the dining room and uh, the, the dining room is one of those places where it's weird, like I, I've been there about four or five times over the years, and I totally forget about this dining room until I walk in there. My my attitude changes when I go in there. I become uh, there's certain parts of the dining room where I become aggressive, and it's weird. It, it's really it's really weird, and uh, it's just um, it's just the way it is. And um, but we were in there. There was me, Kelly, my uh, me and Kelly, my vice president, and um, we were doing an EVP session in this dining room. This dining room is probably about thirty, uh, probably no, probably about forty, fifty feet long. And she's sitting over the other end of the, the dining room, and I could see her. The lights were on and stuff like that. And um, typically, one of the questions I ask is, um, "Where are you in the room?" And uh, we were asking a series of questions, and we thought we heard some peeps and bangs and stuff like that. We, you know, disregarded it. We thought there were some people upstairs. And uh, I asked the question, um, "Where are you?" And this voice, and it's just, I to this day, it just it, it just went straight. It went straight to my stomach. Was sort of, uh, an angelic voice came through on the voice recorder saying "Heaven," and it was just wow. it. It, it, it was it was crazy, you know. I just that that's probably one that's probably the most memorable EVP I've ever had. Yeah, well that <laughs> that would be pretty memorable, right? And to get that that's that's pretty cool. I like that. So I, um, I'll have to share I, it. I'll have to get that and share it with you because it's uh, it's absolutely phenomenal. Uh, the, the voice as well is just the the, the voice the, the way the, the, the woman says it as well. It's just it just blew me away. 
Yeah, well, you know, we were talking about ours earlier, so I think it'd be kind of fun. I bet there's some people on here, even if you just pull a few um, that we can share. I, I bet people would really love to hear that. Um, and, you know, it's interesting because I'm remembering um, when we were investigating and we were, I think we were in the boiler room. And I don't know if you remember, but we, you thought you got something, like a, a voice or something. Um, but of course with your, you know, like experienced ears later, we're able to decipher that it was actually some sort of like electrical or something happening in the room. Yeah. So yeah. Mechanical. Yeah. A mechanical. Mechanical, noise in the, uh, mechanical room. Yeah. <clears throat> so so what, what's funny about the room is that, um, we, I think we were in that dark room, weren't we? <clears throat> and, uh, that's, that's the room where they, they used to lock all the kids in mm-hmm. and, um, one of the one of the earliest days of us going in there, there was uh, another investigator investigated in there, and uh, she um, she said the Lord's prayer, and she got a voice over the top of her voice repeating what she was saying coming out of that same room. Oh wow! Crazy area. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's absolutely crazy. But yeah. Anyway, there were some other cool things that happened there. So you've lived a few different places, right? You've been in in. Canada and you've been investigating there and of course investigated in in the UK um I know you've been a handful of places in in the U.S. and I might know the answer to this question but what what what's been some place you've really enjoyed investigating in the United States I think um probably the bird cage there in Tombstone I knew you were going to say that yeah. Yeah. Some place well, in, I'll, I'll in be Tombstone. With you, uh, there, there hasn't been a there, are, there there hasn't been a lot of opportunity over the years to drop down to the states. Like I've had I've had invitations from Darren to go down to uh, go go and investigate with him. But um, since I've been I've been present now at Vancouver Paranormal Society for just over ten years, and uh, I, I, we we get we're inundated. Like even when COVID hit, we were still getting inquiries about investigations and stuff like that. We've been ticking over now regularly since I've been taking over, like an investigation a week. And uh, even where I am up in the interior as well, like there's so much going on, and I struggle to get down to the states. And the only two places I had been, um, there was I've been to Fort Casey. I investigate there. Mm-hmm. Um, See, I remember that place this time. I can remember it for a long time. And uh, Fort Walden, where uh-huh. I first met Darren, Darren and Jill, uh, down there as well. And uh, then, then I went down with a team from Florida down to Tombstone, and we, we, uh, we investigate the bird bird cage. And uh, there was a uh, a funeral um, a funeral home next door. Uh, yeah, a funeral uh, place next door as well. We investigate there as well. But um, Tombstone. It's a very magical place. It's uh, it's rich with history and it's obviously still preserved as well. And you can feel the energy in the town as well. And I'm not a medium or psychic or anything like that, but you can feel, you know, what went on in that town as well. I, I can't wait. I've got an open invitation to go back. And uh, I'm definitely, when as soon as this COVID um, restrictions lift, I'm definitely coming back down for sure. Uh, that's awesome. Hey, so here's a question for you. So Angelique... She's the, the amazing woman who donated me my little bit of uh, whiskey tonight. She had a question for you. And I think this is a great, great question in general. So she, she, she was commenting that once a week having an investigation is amazing. Is that about how long it takes? So 
talk a little bit about the timing. I think that's important for people to understand about the time. Um, you tend to go back and visit places multiple times, which I think is really key. But can you speak, yeah, we, speak to that? I'll give you a kind of an outline of Vancouver Paranormal Society and how many investigators we got, and it would give you an idea about um, uh, kind of the, 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 uh, the amount of investigations we do. We've got currently 24 members, and uh, I don't know whether you, the viewers know much about BC, but I, I, have, uh, I have investigators spread from all the way down to the borders of uh, the US, all the way up to... Kitimat, like Northern BC, where, where I've got a home as well. Um, the Lion Mainland team are out pretty much every weekend. We have a team down there of about 16, um, and they're, they're, they do rotations every weekend. They do different, uh, there's some public buildings that we have ongoing, but there's a lot of residential cases that we do, so there's that continual rotation. And it's not us continually going back to investigations one after another, it's the inquiries we get you know, during the time, and if, say for example, we go to one investigation and we feel that it's not warranted to go back, you know, we, you know, we, you know, we, we just make sure that you know the, the client's okay, and then we move on to the next one. It's not us keep, you know, keeping repeating to where we go. It's that regular, regular spinover kind of thing. Yeah. So I'm going to speak to that a uh, little bit. Oh, go ahead. Do you have more to say? I'm sorry. sorry the second, the second answer to the question is that how long does it take? Gotcha. So typically. Um, because of our schedules and it's nothing to do with ghosts come out at night and stuff like that supposedly um we we start our investigations around about seven o'clock in the evening and then we go depending on the activity go all the way through to like the worst case at midnight maybe one o'clock uh any longer than that it's not good on the body and we start seeing things naturally anyway because the body starts getting tired so um if if it does um warrant further investigation then we review it and then maybe we go back during the daytime and have a longer you know make a day of it there uh, yeah. i haven't done a 24-hour investigation for years um i don't to be honest with you it's um most of the cases i go on don't seem to be warranted in fact all of them don't warrant 24 hours in investigation not like what you see on other groups yeah. Going all the way through to like three or four o'clock in the morning. That's no good on anyone. Yeah. That's... Your body starts off and you start seeing things naturally anyway. Yeah, you get tired. But and I think just to kind of mention, uh, Angelique, uh, the investigation though is usually that's just part of it. And I can't speak exactly to what Pete does with VPS, but for instance, with Whisper that I investigate with. Um, our our founders well darren in particular is very very skeptical and very science-minded and you know we we have multiple steps we have you know phone interviews in-person interviews with the clients to to uh to rule out because sometimes you can tell right away that whatever they're experiencing is not paranormal it's something else going on in their lives um, and then we do, we usually have a group that will go in a little ahead of time during the day to do the setup because the equipment takes a long time. And I don't know, Pete, if you in included that, but we do a lot of equipment and we do baseline readings where we go through and we take measurements of temperature and things. So we know if we have a fluctuation, how it measures against um, what happened before and um, and. Darren, our guy, he, we even map things out. So it's really easy for us to be able to document 
where we were when we um, did things. Now, we're often going into people's homes who really want some information. So, you know, I think it's it, it can be really important when you're trying to give people answers to make sure you're doing the most thorough job. So it can actually, when you take all of that into consideration, it can take a matter of days to get all the information that you have. Um, and then if, if you needed to do a historical review of something, um, that could take longer. I, I haven't ever had to do that myself, but, um, but yeah, it takes a lot longer than the hour that you see on TV, right, Pete? <laughs> yeah, our, our parameters are slightly different. Like, uh, we don't, we, we tend to do more base read, baseline readings on the actual, uh, just on the, on the actual time with that we enter the place because temperature fluctuates throughout the day and, you know, there, there's, there could be a multitude of reasons why things would change naturally during the daytime anyway. Uh, things like that. You know, it, it's, each investigation varies depending on the, you know, what exactly is going on. And uh, it, it does, a lot of my investigations change as well, depending on the type of cases I do as well. Yeah. Yeah, well, we do, our baselines we do right at the start. We send multiple people and we record it and then we go in to investigate it. So it's not like there's a lot of time um, difference in there. But I, I think you make a really good point that ghosts, you know, those investigations don't have to happen at night when it's dark, right? They can happen no, at any no, time. No, right? it's, in fact, historically, um, most of the evidence that I've ever caught has been daytime anyway mm -hmm. because I've, I was able to see it more than what I was at nighttime. So. So uh, we have just a few more minutes. Do you have one story that you just want to make sure that you tell us tonight before we, we sign off? One story. Um, okay. Um, I, I don't know if you know that I work for a exorcist down in Washington State. Have I ever told you that? Yes, you have. Because so remember, I, I, work, I work with an ordained. I do. I'm what's called a documenting. Uh, investigator for an, an a ordained exorcist in Washington State, and I, I basically work a lot on remote cases and do like Skype interviews with potential people that are possessed, that kind of thing. Very skeptical by nature on that. Um, I'm still yet to come across anything that's even in that domain. But there was one particular case, and uh, it's kind of a dragged out story, but I think we've got enough time. Um, so what it was uh, about and a half years ago just before uh, just before I had my transplant because I, I live a transplant um, I got a case that came through from the uh, the, the, the father in uh